Would you do two things? Would you open your Bibles to Psalm 139 and take out that insert from your bulletin? Life is full of joy. We want to pause before even we get into the sermon just to pray. And let me tell you that I really believe that our country is heading deeper into an abortion civilization. I don't see us moving away from that politically, spiritually, mentally, the climate of our nation, friends, let's just be honest. We're heading towards a more okayness, it's a worst term ever, but that really is accurate in the area of abortion. And the church needs to stand up and it needs to speak the truth. I want to read to you what Cheryl mentioned just a moment ago, Psalm 139. I want you to see how precious life is, how aware God is of life even before a baby is born. And this is going to guide us into a brief time of prayer. It says in Psalm 139, starting in verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. Now, are you listening to this? Because this is truth. And it needs to settle into conviction in all of us. So that we look at life, whether it's been born or unborn, with the way God looks at life. Here's what he says. For you formed, the psalmist, for you formed, God, my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Ladies, do you knit? Man, I just want to let you know I used to make potholders in a potholder set. The best Christmas gift I ever got. I know what knitting is. From a potholder's perspective, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you see yourself that way? Honestly, do you see that you're fearfully and wonderfully made? Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Friends, we've got to be souls that know how wonderful God's works are. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. This is the unborn child that, the, that David's talking about. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Friends, you ready? Abortion is simply killing. I don't know where you're coming from with your political or philosophical perspectives. I'm telling you, the Word of God says abortion is killing. And the church has got to rise up and be vocal. It needs to have the courage of conviction. And listen, listen, it needs to have grace. Because we have people in our own church that have had abortions. And there is forgiveness and the fact that there's forgiveness means it's a sin. And we can give out forgiveness all day long because God has given it to us in the same way. Let's be churches, let's be Christians in a church that stand up and say abortion is killing. And life is precious, whether it's born or unborn. Let's pray. And let's pray for CareNet Pregnancy Center in our Lehigh Valley. They are active in this area. Let's pray for them, and let's pray for our hearts. Lord, thank you.
Father, that today is the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It kicks off a week of celebrating, not guilt-mongering, but celebrating life. Lord, we want to celebrate as David just did. And when he wrote that passage, Lord, he was fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Father, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every one of us, regardless of our color and our shape and our health, the Bible is true. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord, I have had four children. You have given Denise and I four precious gifts. Lord, you've given our congregation so many gifts. Lord, I know, Father, with conviction that every one of my children, Lord, before they were born, they were planned before the creation of the world by you. Lord, you knit them together. There may be physical processes that we understand, biological, normal, normal processes that take place, but Father, it's your hand that knits together a baby. And Lord, you fearfully and wonderfully make them. Lord, I pray that we would see an unborn child as a human being, a person made in the image of God. Lord, the moment of conception, there is life, not when that baby is born. May we guard that life preciously. May we stand up and speak the truth. And may we have grace that flows. And in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you have your Bibles open. Would you open them to Romans chapter 12? Romans chapter 12 is our text this morning. We began two weeks ago looking at what worship really is. What's it mean to be committed to worship? I hope you remember a little bit of that. And we'll do a very, very brief review in just a moment. But let me tell you about a surgeon in Barnes Hospital in St. Louis. He understood worship. Now get this. This is really interesting. It's a true story. He would walk into a room of a patient that was being prepared for surgery. And he would say to that patient, you ready? See these hands? They are the best in the hospital, the best in this hospital. Now listen, and I want you to know that before I operate on you, I will be on my knees or I have been on my knees for one hour. You see, surgery for that doctor was as sacred as Sunday morning church as he offered his hands to God to prolong human life and reduce suffering. Friends, that's worship. Do you remember from two weeks ago? I know that's a long time. That's like an infinity in the hearts of preachers. Two weeks ago, forget it. Did I even come that Sunday? Is probably some of your thinking. But two weeks ago, we saw the beginning of Romans chapter 12. We looked at the first half of this verse, and we saw that Paul made an appeal to us. He made an appeal to the Roman believers. He makes it to us as well. He implores, he begs, he pleads. On the basis of the mercies of God. You seeing that? Romans 12, 1. I hope you got your Bibles open. If you didn't bring yours, there's one right in front of you. You know what that meant? Do you remember what we said? The mercies of God means, it means the abundance of compassion that God feels towards those who are in distress. 
Now you're listening, right? Because you go through distressful situations, as do I. God's mercy is the compassion he feels towards those who are in distress and the effort he makes to relieve them of the suffering that sin causes. You want to know a biblical definition of mercy? That's what it is. It's the compassion of God and the efforts to relieve suffering that sin causes. That, that's, what, that's what mercy means in the scriptures. But we stopped two weeks ago before we could really see what the appeal actually was. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning. Here's what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, here's our text, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Friends, what we're going to see this morning is the essence of worship. You ready to chew? This is not an easy sermon. Are you ready to pound these truths into your mind? Because if you don't, you're not going to change. The truth of God guides our behavior. So I'm going to ask you, take notes, jot in your, your margins, because I'm going to explain a lot of what this verse means, and you're going to have to digest this in the coming days and weeks. Number one, totally surrendered. Here We're going to look at four things. And the first is totally surrendered. Look at what Paul says. He appeals that we would present our bodies. After showing us the mercies of God, Paul pleads with us to present ourselves to him. What's that mean, to present ourselves to God? Now, I don't know about you, but I've read this verse. Romans 12, 1 and 2 are some of the most famous verses in all Scripture. You've heard it more than likely countless times. But I've got to tell you that many times I really didn't understand what it was saying. Romans 2... 12.2 is easy for me, but verse, verse 1 is a bit ambiguous. What's it mean to present ourselves to God? Well, here's what it means. It means to place ourselves at God's disposal. It means to place ourselves at God's disposal. In other words, it means to surrender and yield everything to God. Now, we think, well... That kind of makes sense now. Sometimes we present things all the time. I present to my wife an idea for a vacation. We might present to our children gifts on Christmas. But what's it really mean to present ourselves? It means we're the gift. We are what we're presenting. We're placing all of who we are on the altar at God's disposal. God, do with me what you want. That's what Paul is pleading that we would do. God, do with me what you would want for your purposes. Now, can I just bring a subtle point? Who's Paul writing to? He's writing to believers. And the fact that he's asking believers to present themselves means that there's a lot of Christians that have never done this. Have you ever put your entire self on the altar of God and said, God, do with me as you will? 
Paul's pleading with us to lay down our lives, surrender fully to God. It's a picture of handing something over to another and listen, relinquishing your grip. Worship is yielding to God. This is what we're doing. We're trying to understand what worship is. It's probably the most used, least understood word in all, I think, of Christianity. What's it mean? Well, worship is yielding to God and giving Him all of who we are to do with us what He wants. Friends, that's the basis. That's the foundation. That's the bottom line truth of worship. But I want to tell you something else about this word present, and I find this remarkable. And you only really know this if you can understand the original language. And while I don't know Greek and Hebrew, I know a lot of people that do, and they're wrapped up in my books. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit more about this word. Sometimes in our English it cannot adequately capture the force of the Greek, at least not without adding a whole lot of words to it. And Bible translators don't want a Bible this thick because a lot of you don't bring them to church. So they simplify it and they lose the force of the Greek. For example, here is Ephesians 5.18 in our English language. It says, be filled with the Spirit. You know what the Greek means there? Here's what a literal translation from the Greek is, it's to be continually filled with the Spirit. The first one is a one-time-in-the-past event, but the reality of the Greek is it's every day. Be continually filled with the Spirit. There's a big difference. So when Paul pleads with us, now listen, don't let me lose you. I told you you got to chew. When, God, when Paul tells us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, that word presents a verb, right? But here's what it means. It means once and for all. Now let that settle down in your hearts and ponder that for a moment. It means to fully, deliberately, decisively, once and for all, give yourself to God. You know, one person says, we're very good at getting ourselves on the altar, but we tend to crawl off it once the heat starts. To decisively... Fully, once and for all, give yourselves to God, not to decide to yield to God today and then change your mind tomorrow. It's a matter of a conscious decision of the will. It's not a call to perfection. It doesn't mean if I place myself fully at God's disposal today that I now am expected and, and I'm going to live a life of perfection. That's not what it is. It's a decisive, committed Act. It's not very alien to us. You ready? Here's why we can all understand this. On March 24th, 1990, I made a vow to my wife to love her for the rest of my life. Friends, listen, that was a full covenantal once and for all commitment that has no room for vacillating. And like everybody, now friends, listen, you know this, like all of us. There are days when marriage seems difficult. Times when we don't love each other very well, but here it is. Our commitment to our marriage has never changed. This is what Paul is telling us to do. Commit 
fully with no option to breaking it. We're not to place ourselves at God's disposal one day and then pull back to live for ourselves the next. Any more than we love our spouse one day and the next decide we don't anymore. It's a once for all time offering to God. Friends, if you have ever wanted to understand what worship is in Scripture, Paul is explaining it right now in simple, clear terms. Here it is. It's a total, decisive surrender to God. But he goes on. Not only totally surrendered, but totally committed. He says to present your bodies. In the church service one Sunday, the offering plate came to a little girl at the end of a row and she took the plate, she set it down on the floor and she climbed inside and stood on it. And when the usher asked her what she was doing, she responded, in Sunday school, I learned that I was supposed to give myself to God. To a child, that's what it felt like. What Paul tells us, friends, listen, what he tells us to place at God's disposal is our bodies. That seems strange. This doesn't mean, though, just the flesh that garbs your soul. You understand that? It doesn't mean just the flesh, the material, biological part, the organic matter only. This word in the Greek means our whole. All of who we are. The soma in the Greek. To present your bodies means to surrender to God our whole being, inside and out, flesh and spirit. By the way, I want to let you know that these words would have shocked the Roman believers. You know why? Now get this, this is cool. We don't know this because we're not Roman uh, believers at that time, but it would have shocked them because the philosophy that permeated Roman people was from a man named Plato. Y'all heard of Plato. And Plato regarded the body, he regarded the flesh as an embarrassing burden and nuisance. In fact, they had a slogan. Those who ascribed, ascribed to Platonic philosophy had a slogan. Here it is. You ready? The body is a tomb which imprisoned the spirit of a person. The soul, they believed, or the spirit, was inherently good, and the body was evil, and since the body was worthless, and it was going to die eventually, here it is, whatever you do with it doesn't matter. That's Platonic philosophy that permeated Rome at the time that Paul wrote this. This would have shocked the Roman believers. Because it led to a lifestyle where one could do anything you wanted with your bodies because your body was already corrupt as long as one spiritually devoted yourself to God. By the way, that's still alive. That hasn't died. It's just not called Plato's philosophy anymore. Paul says, no, our bodies, God wants them. He wants our bodies as well as our hearts. In fact, our bodies are the vehicles in which we worship God. We might have all the charismatic feelings 
that our hearts can contain, but if it does nothing to express itself through our bodies in serving God and others, it's useless. It's not biblical worship. We might love truth. And we might experience the passion of a devotional life, but if it doesn't find expression through our bodies, it's useless. It's not biblical worship. Friends, our bodies are all of who we are in the eyes and the will and the hands and the mind and the feet and the passions and the lips and the voice must together be laid on the altar and given to God for His glory. That's what Paul means when he says, your bodies present your bodies all of who we are. So can I ask you a question? Would you look up here for a moment? Answer this honestly. Were your hands, your hands, God's this week? Did you place them at that altar and live that out? Were your lips, what you spoke, what you said, how you talked? Honestly, was it God's this week? About your mind, what you thought on and what you read and what you watched on television or in the theater, was that God's this week? Did you place your feet on the altar this week and walk the paths of His righteousness and did God have at his disposal all of your service this week? That's what it means to present all of who we are on the altar at God's disposal. I am all yours, God, every part of me, to do with what you want for your glory. You want to know what worship is? Paul's pretty clear, but it's weighty. It's total surrender. It's total surrender and it's total commitment. And it's totally pleasing to God. Look what he says as he goes on. Present your bodies how? As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. There's a particular way that we are to give ourselves to God. He says, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You know, that phrase, living sacrifice, means something different than most of us might imagine. Paul's already told us, now you got to get this, I told you you got to chew. Here's a chewing portion of this sermon. You ready? I even give you a warning of that. Here it is, so think with me, ready? Paul has already told us in Romans 6.1 to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, friends, doesn't mean to destroy your bodies. They're already dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. In other words, at the moment of our salvation, every one of us who would put our faith in Jesus Christ, at that moment, something happened. The power that saved us overcame the power that made us slaves to sin and set us free. In fact, the slavery to sin power was destroyed. 
We've now been set free to live with power, with energy, fully dedicated to God's purposes. Sin ought not, cannot master the believer anymore. That power was destroyed and we're free in Christ, living by the power of the Spirit of God. But we still sin. We do. Because sin still struggles in our flesh and our bodies. And it's at war, Galatians says, between the Spirit of God. But it can no longer hold us as slaves to it. It's the force behind living sacrifice. We're fully at His disposal. It's the thought behind Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Here's what it says. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your whole being, it means. Here it is, you ready? A living sacrifice is a life set free to live to, for a life that is exclusively for God. Let me say that again because I messed it up. A living sacrifice is a life set free to live actively and fully for God's pleasure. This is worship. That's what it means to worship. It's what it means to be totally pleasing to God. It means you've got the power. You've been set free by God through the Spirit because of the gospel. You've been set free from the slavery to sin and now empowered to live a life that's pleasing to God. That's worship. It's a holy sacrifice because it's a life that is set apart for God's use. In the Old Testament, if they had a part of the tabernacle that was declared holy, which all of the tabernacle was. But if you had a fork that the priests used to dip into the pot and take the meat of the sacrifice out, that fork was called holy because it was set apart for one purpose only, and that purpose was to be used in the tabernacle and the worship of God. That's what it means to be holy fundamentally, set apart for only one use, God's. And God finds this acceptable. I really don't like this word. You know why I don't like this word? Let me explain why I don't like it. Denise and I joke around. About a time years ago, my wife wanted to make dinner for my father, who after 40 plus years of eating meals from only my mom, was hard to please. He ate the dinner that she made him, and then she asked him afterwards, Dad, did you like it? Here's what he said. It's haunted us, my wife. I thought it was funny. It was certainly edible. Now, my dad never had sensitivity training before he died. He's getting it now. The Lord's talking to him about this. It crushed my wife. I'm not kidding. It crushed my wife. That's the feeling I get when I read this word acceptable. Here it is. I place my life at God's disposal because I am filled with gratitude at the extent of his mercies to me. And I seek to live my whole life for his pleasure. And Paul says it's certainly acceptable. You know why I don't like this word? Because it's a terrible translation of the Greek. Here's what the Greek really means extraordinarily pleasing. 
Doesn't that sound better? Extraordinarily pleasing. It describes the pleasure God receives when we live our lives in worship. When we put ourselves on the altar, having been made pure by the blood of Jesus and committed to his use and his use only, we are exceedingly pleasing to God. I love that. And it moves us to our final point, totally worshiping. Look at what Paul says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Here it is, which is your spiritual worship. William Barclay once wrote, Real worship is the offering of everyday life to God. When we commit ourselves fully to God, by placing all of who we are on His altar, for his disposal, we bring extraordinary pleasure to God, and this is precisely what worship is. Have you ever really thought through what it means to worship God? Now, let's interact with that question for a moment. Have you ever really thought through it? You know, there's a lot of Old Testament and New Testament words for worship. But here, Paul uses one word that has, an, I think, a very interesting development. You know that all words evolve and develop over time. This word did as well. Originally, it meant voluntary work for hire or pay. It then developed and came to mean serving somebody in general. So it used to be, I would work for you for pay, and then the word developed and evolved to I want to serve you generally. And eventually began to take on the meaning of one who dedicates his entire life to serving others. Now get this, in Rome, it evolved again. And it was a word used to describe a service to a deity. And the word of God, now listen, and the word of God, the word service, this word here in Romans 12, 1, it never ever means service to other humans. You never see it in Scripture, meaning serving humans. There's other words for that. This word is reserved always to serving and worshiping God. Let me explain a little more about this word. It may surprise some of us, but did you know that nowhere in Scripture is the word worship defined by singing? Did you know that? Nowhere. Yet it's the most prevalent way that modern Christians define worship. Which worship service are you attending? Pastor Tim will preach after we finish worshiping. We have a blended worship style. True worship is, as Paul makes clear, fully surrendering to God for all of who we are for His pleasure. It's what Eric Little said and the chariots of fire when he said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's worship. That's fundamentally what the Bible means when it says worship. 
Our minds are given to Him to set on things above where Christ is seated at the heavenly throne. Our wills are His to do what He has asked. Our bodies are given to us for His use and for His glory. Our talents, our passions, our possessions, our time, all are placed at that altar and used for God's glory and it's extraordinarily pleasing to Him. I like what one person said about worship. He says, we worship God every day whenever we do anything that pleases Him. I love that. How awesome it is to get up in the morning before your feet even start walking and say, God, I want everything I do to please You in an extraordinary way. But I need Your help. That writer went on, he says, our hand on the arm of a hurting brother can be worshipped our effort to do our job honestly and well can be worship. Stopping to listen to an upset child, even though we're tired, can be worship. Everything we do when done with a desire to please our Lord is worship. Don't you love what Paul is saying about worship? This is livable. This is translatable into my life. This isn't just doctrine. In theology that lives in the stratosphere of intellectual Christians, this is the way I can live. And he says, Paul says, placing our entire selves at God's disposal is our spiritual worship. Now, i got to tell you, that is a strange, strange term, phrase. KJV and the NKJV translates it, your reasonable service. Haven't you ever wondered what that means? This has been the most puzzling part of this verse in my entire adult Christian life. I never could figure out what it meant. Even now, it just seems strange for most of us. We don't say this, spiritual or reasonable worship. Here's what it means, though. A spiritual or reasonable, that word means logical or rational. It's worship that just makes sense. You know why Paul says this? Because halfway commitment is irrational. It doesn't make sense when you see the entire mercies of God, especially that's been displayed on the cross of Christ. It doesn't make sense to give God only part of my life when God's given us everything and His Son. Full commitment, total surrender is the only rational course to take when you really see the mercies of God flat out, nothing else makes sense. There are many, many believers who have yet to step on the altar as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Many. Have you given to God all of who you are in a decisive, never-changing commitment like your marriage? You may have trusted in God for your salvation, but you may have not yet placed yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice to God. Paul is begging. That's what that word appeal means. Imploring, pleading with every Christian to do exactly that. Place yourself at God's disposal. 
surrendered, yielded fully for his purposes. It's the only thing that makes sense in light of all that he's done for us. Have you ever heard of Telemachus? A fourth century Christian monk. The, ch- the stories about this change. But let me tell you the story, the version that Chuck Colson shared. He was, Telemachus was praying while tending his garden. And he thought he heard God's voice tell him to go to Rome. This is in A.D. late 300s. So he did. Weeks later, he arrived when the city was in a great festival. And he followed the surging crowd to the Colosseum. And he saw gladiators stand before the emperor and say, we who are about to die salute you. Then he realized these men were going to fight to the death for the entertainment of the crowds. He cried out in the name of Christ, stop. The games began anyway, despite his cries of protest. And he pushed his way through the crowds and he climbed over the wall and he dropped to the floor of the arena. Now listen to this, ready? The crowd saw this tiny figure rushing to the gladiators and thought it was part of the game, so they began laughing. But when they realized it was real, their laughter turned to anger. They began throwing objects at Telemachus. Telemachus began to plead with the gladiators, shouting, in the name of Christ, stop, until one of them took his sword and plunged it into him, killing a killing blow. Friends, on that day, an eerie hush settled over everybody in that Colosseum. And as Telemachus fell to the sand, dying with his last breath that everybody could hear, he yelled out, in the name of Christ, stop. A strange thing happened as the gladiators stood over the tiny little martyr. One person in the upper rows stood and made his way to the exit. Others began to follow, and in dead silence, everyone left that Colosseum. The year was 391 A.D., and friends, it was the last battle to the death in the Roman Colosseum. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, here it is, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship. Is that you? Are you ready? Like a marriage vow to commit yourself to God fully, decisively, and finally, not perfectly, but I will not crawl off that altar. God, I am yours. That's what Paul is pleading with us to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Romans 12. Lord, I have been so struck and the preparation of these last two sermons by the high call of worship. It's very different than the modern definition in the church. Lord, it's something that I can do, I can live it out, because Christ has set me free and given me the power to lay down on that altar and say, God, I'm yours. Lord, I pray that we would present ourselves fully surrendered and yielded at your disposal, God. 
present ourselves a living sacrifice every day, getting up and every day saying, Lord, what is it you have me to do today? Everything I have, everything I am is yours. Do with me what you will. Father, you've shown us that's the only worship that makes sense in light of the mercies of God. May we take this sermon and apply it immediately today and live out worship the way the scriptures teach us. And in Jesus' name, amen.